Welcome to the Kesset Church Podcast. We are so glad you've joined us and hope you enjoyed today's sermon. If you'd like to find out more about Kesset, you can head to kessetchurch.com or find us on Facebook. Good morning. Welcome to Kesset. Oh, it's our last series at Clark College, which we've loved being here. We've appreciated greatly. But, but this is it, folks. This is it. Five weeks. Five weeks. Five weeks. And then uh, we have a Good Friday and then uh, our Palm Sunday Good Friday uh, service there. And then we're going to be moving in on Easter weekend. I'm going to do a Pastor Tom update next week. And so uh, check that out. That's uh, going to be a lot of information we'll be sharing. I will be there as well. My name is Danny. I'm one of the pastors here. If you're new to, uh, to church, thank you so much. If you're just kind of checking out spiritual stuff and you're, you're just uh, hanging out or, or maybe you uh, just decided to come with a friend and because you lost a bet, we'll take you either way. We don't. It doesn't bother us at all. I'll take you bet losers any time of the, any time of the week. Uh, this series right now is called Anonymous, and uh, it's, uh, it's, uh, it's going to be a, a pretty intense series, but, but not in a... Not in a bad way. Um, For the seekers in the room, this will be an interesting series for you because you're going to kind of find out what those of us who follow Christ, what that's about. This is a a series about about powerlessness and power and how we yield that and how we do it in a a really uh, beautiful and often anonymous way. For the believers in the room, I I hope that this series is going to be rather convicting. And may I just say that for you in the audience that have been following in a long time, uh, this series will be uh, boring to you if you don't decide to participate. As a matter of fact, I'll even go as far to say this might be the most believer-centric series I've ever done because it's so focused on what we as Christians are supposed to do in preparation for the building and all the stuff that we feel like God is doing. And so as a believer, I, I want you to know that, that all you have to do to not get anything out of this is decide not to accept the offering. Not to live in really the tension. The anonymous word has tension with it because anonymous is, is good and good and bad and bad. Anonymous is, is really powerful if you want to serve because it just, it's a beautiful thing to serve anonymously or if you want to give or if you want to help. Anonymous suddenly is, is really powerful. Um, anonymous uh, could also be uh, a very powerless thing if you feel like you're just another face in the crowd. Like there's no needs being met in your life. You're just, you're just living anonymously. No one, no one knows that you even exist or that you hurt. This word creates tension depending on how you hook up with it. And that's exactly where this series is going to sit, within that tension. So we're going to create spaces for that. And as believers, if you decide not to participate in that space, then you're going to be like, meh, I don't know. It doesn't really make sense to, for me. I'm just excited about the new building because I heard they have cushier chairs. Like, those will be the kind of things you're excited about. But if, as a believer, you decide to create space and accept it, then suddenly you'll be able to find great power in the powerlessness in the distance you park, for instance. Uh, I've already had to ask a few people, so how many blocks is it before Jesus no longer calls you to Kesset? Is it four, five blocks? (laughs) How many blocks of parking is it before I had someone tell me, church is going to shrink, people aren't willing to park that much? I said, that's fine. Those aren't the kind of people I want at church anyways. And then I took that back and I was like, wait a minute, I want all the people that Jesus wants at church, but I would prefer to have people that understood that sometimes it's, 
It's in the powerless participation, parking far away, giving without applause, serving without anybody knowing it, that we find our greatest power. I think you're going to find this very biblical and very applicable. And I think for those of you now, again, seeking, you're going to get some insight into what it is that Jesus means when he says the first shall be last, when he says the the weak shall or the strong the weak shall be strong when he says all these kind of things that create tension this is where we're going to go and my hope is you come with me so let me pray and then we'll get started heavenly father thank you for every person in this room i believe in my whole heart that you uh design these kinds of experiences that you uh you coordinate people and their schedules to be able to hear from you not from me but lord may they not be distracted may they not walk in with whatever they carried in with them this week that uh, keeps them from listening to you. May they recognize it in their story. May they feel it emotionally, but may they not allow it, God, to be what they allow their mind to revolve around for the next half hour. May they just take this time to hear from something um, more. I'm so thankful that we get to come and talk about you in the way that you work within power and powerlessness. We lift this time up to you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So uh, let me give you kind of a phrase for the series. The series is going to be about learning to live in the holy tension of our own power and powerlessness. And I just shared with you how that word anonymous kind of sits within that space. And that's going to be our theme for the next five weeks. This, uh, this entire thing is going to be difficult, as I said, because whether you're a believer or seeker, people don't like tension and they try to avoid it, especially spiritual tension. This is the spiritual or holy tension of new. This is anytime something new, especially when you find in the Bible, people reject it. They're like, oh, that's not what we thought it was going to be. Or, oh, I, did, I, I expected a little bit different. New generally is bad to most people, especially spiritually new things. This is the holy tension of growth. Uh, already, this, this, we've grown just a bit and we haven't even moved into our building. And that means more people sitting in your spot. I know, you've told me. You guys are pretty good, though, overall. I mean, I don't think you love it because I watch because I'll see a new family walk in and sit in somebody's spot. And then I'll see the other family walk in and they're like, you can tell their, their intention. They're like. <laughs> and, then, and then what you don't realize, it's just a cascade effect because then you go take somebody else's spot and then they have tension and they have. And I, I love it. Why don't you just. Why, how about this? Stop having spots. Just, just, just give that control up. It's just a thought. But growth is hard and it changes stuff. This is the holy tension of reliance, of being willing to share that you have needs, of being willing to share that, that, that uh, you can't do it all yourself. I'll tell you this, the, the folks who have been giving to the building, uh, and, and you're going to see some of the fruit of what you gave for so long without being able to touch it. We're going to talk about that next week during the Tom update. And my hope is that as we move into the building, uh, you continue to give in that way. Because you're going to see some spaces in the building. The building's really unique. It's like beautiful, beautiful, amazing, same. Because we did what we needed to do to, to move in. But there's still stuff that needs to be done. And we will need to rely on the Holy Spirit to, to cause us as families to give to that. Reliance is hard. Uh, this is the holy tension of transformation. Anytime you transform, it's difficult. Anytime you have to live in between what you were and what you want to be this space in between is, is uncomfortable because you either want to let go and go back to what you were because you know how it'll feel or you want to rush through what you are going to be and try to get there sooner than you should. 
And, and that's just not how transformation works. It's slow and it's costly. And oftentimes it happens anonymously. And you feel powerless in order to feel powerful. And this is a hard place for us to live. This, is a, this holier spiritual tension is just a, something that, that can be avoided. And everything I just talked about can be avoided if you just refuse to offer, the, to accept that offer, to step into that space. If you just decide to say how you are, then that's all fine. But I'll tell you, um, that would be like us all going to Clark, leaving Clark going to the new building, and you just staying here with a black stage because, well, you know this place. This is how some of you have actually lived your lives for a long time. As a matter of fact, even being at Kesed, you're constantly comparing it to other church hurt or other experiences or an overarching um, a skepticism of, of religion because you saw this or you watched a Netflix documentary. I can't tell you guys how many Netflix documentaries I have to go watch because you saw something that you want me to explain. And I'm like, I don't know. I wasn't alive when that stuff went down. I'm, I'm learning about this with you. I'm just here. And they're like, yeah, but our last church, it was about to move into a building too. And it was just, this happened and that happened. And I'm like, that sounds terrible. Bye. Like, I don't know what that means. I don't I, I, I respect it. I respect it. But, I, but again, if you're not willing to walk this out, if you're not willing to, to, to set down that stuff while honoring how it affected you, then, then what are we all doing here? What are we all doing here? I mean, I have gutted myself before most of you around what I used to be and where I used to be and how I used to think. And all it has taught me is that at 42 years old right now, I know very little and that I hope at 52, 62, 82, 92, 102, and 122, which is how long I pray the Lord lets me live, that I know all kinds of new stuff, that I continue to learn and transform and grow. I just, I don't know why so many people approach every day as if it's the day they arrived at the life they always imagined they'd have. Like they, like they read a verse and they're like, that's what it means. And I'm like, well, don't, is there any tension anywhere within the last 2,000 years of people writing volumes of books about what this verse you just figured out at 38 means at Starbucks with me? What if there's more? And what if the reason we don't experience more is because we don't allow ourselves to live in the tension of the fact that there being more means I'm not where I'm supposed to be? It's hard. It feels kind of powerless. But a lot's going to change. And that is going to happen in about six weeks when we move into our building on Easter weekend and we no longer are here. And I think some of you are going to love it. And I think some of you are just going to need extended hugging. <laughs> also called cuddles. <laughs> if it lasts longer than three seconds. So this is how I built the series. This series is about helping us to utilize all the new physical changes happening around us as a template for how we should also be managing the spiritual changes happening inside of us. As my therapist would say when I get really uncomfortable and I, I know the next five or six weeks are going to be hard, he would say, Danny, don't waste it. Use it. Don't just see it for what it is. See it for what it could be and see it in every area of your life. So as all these changes begin to unfold, as you hear things you don't like, as things start to happen, ask yourself, could could." Could it be that the Holy Spirit's doing these things and, and, and it's just uncomfortable for you because you don't like discomfort? Could it be? Could it be? Let all these external things happen to you internally as well. And then ask yourself, okay, where's God trying to move me? 
What is he trying to do in my life? That's what the whole series is going to be about. If I can give you a spiritual posture, which is a thing we do around here uh, that you'll, I'll be reminding you throughout the series for how I'd like you to approach the next five weeks, I would say it needs to be something of an open-handed expectation. That you need to be willing to put your arms out, which is expectation that you're getting something, that you're receiving something, it's an ask, but you're also having your hands open in that you're not controlling whatever that is. You're also not valuing what you give. You're waiting for God to give. You're not like, well, good thing they got a building because I'm an awesome singer, right? <laughs> Some of you in the room are just like, I, I'm leaving. I'm not going to this church anymore. All right, good thing we got a building because I'm this and I'm that. Here's all the opportunities for me. No, if you can just be there and be present and be available, I think you'll find that in this tension something beautiful will happen. Reminds me of the Corey Timboom quote that uh, I heard when I was like 12 years old in the book that she wrote that I have not forgotten, and it says, I have learned to hold all things loosely so God will not have to pry them out of my hands. Yep. This is how we're going to approach the building. And I think you're going to figure out why here in just a moment. Scripturally, we're going to pick up just where the last series ended, kind of a unique thing. If you didn't watch Byron Talks, you, don't, you didn't have to, but I'm, I'm gonna, uh, you don't have to because I'm going to read that verse for you right now. But uh, it's going to pick up right inside that story, except I want to bring a different angle to uh, what's happening here. So Jesus grows up in a village, right? He works as a carpenter just like uh, his father Joseph, and he serves and he helps and he spends the night with friends and he hangs out and he goes on fishing trips and he has buds and pals and everybody knows who he is. He's remarkably nice, kind and wise, but he's still just Jesus. One day in church... He decides to stand up. It's his turn to read. I like to imagine his parent, his mom's there for sure. But they're there. People who know him, they're, they're excited. Jesus is going to read for the first time. And uh, he's going to read in the scroll from the prophet Isaiah. And he stands up and he reads it with an air of power that they had never seen from the everyday, average, common, powerless Jesus. He says this. The spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me. To proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind. To set at liberty those who are oppressed. To proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And then it says in verse 20, And he rolled up the scroll and gave it back to the attendant and sat down. And the eyes of all in the synagogue were fixed upon him. Now, this is a very old scroll. This is a very common passage. But... For some reason, the way that Jesus read it, it was as if it was written about him. Because it was. And so when he reads it, he doesn't read it as if he's another church parishioner. He reads it from this incredibly powerful place. And then it says, and the eyes of the attend all in the synagogue were on him. Now, it goes on to verse 21, right? Don't put that up yet. And tells you what he does next. But here's the thing we do that's so wrong, I think, when coming to Scripture. We don't create space for real-life human situations. If Jesus walked into our church, walked on stage, read that, and everyone's spirit in the room resonated, and then he sat down in the room and just stared at you, and you all stared back, which is what it said here, my guess is Jesus is pretty good at public speaking, and he just let that tension lie. As inside, you were all spinning, actively spinning, 
while on the outside, you're all still. And your spirit, the Holy Spirit, is spinning in you saying, he's the one, he's the one, he's the one, he's the one. Jesus invites them into the tension to enter the space, space offered for pondering and reflection. And then he adds verse 21, and we don't know how long, but I think it was a little while. And then he adds, and he began to say to them, today this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. He says, yep, I'm him. He says, yep, I'm the answers you've been waiting for. And you know what they're thinking. You have to know what they're thinking. They're, they're looking around, and they're talking with their eyes like Christians do when they want to be judgmental, but not too judgmental. <laughs> yeah, a bunch of you just got real convicted, right? Yeah, we read your judgmental eye language. Jesus, or the Bible actually calls it haughty eyes, if you, wanna, if you want something to put to it. But it's this. It's when you're like, mm, and you're looking over at your girlfriend like, no way. That's Jesus. That's a... <laughs> He grew up with my son, Billy, and I, I know him. There's no way that could be about him. And that's what the eyes are saying. You know somebody else is thinking, no, no, he's a carpenter. I'm pretty sure he built my table last year. <laughs> like they're processing who this is and what this is and what he's proclaiming. And then he says, I am the answer that you're looking for. Jesus did this a lot. He would offer these spaces wherever he went working in unseen ways, offering for people to just sit in their active stillness. Okay, their active stillness. That's why in the video you see a bunch of these uh, contradictory kind of statements. Every week we're, we're going to be through the series, we're going to be talking about one of these. This week that's what it means to be actively still or to enter into that spot where you can be actively spinning on the inside while on the outside you stop doing whatever it is you were doing. Because Jesus just said, hey, I am and you went, oh, what's that mean for me? And then you inside, although your body stopped, inside you're active and you're searching and you're digging. And then he therefore moves in eventually to release a little of the tension only to add a little more that creates clarity of I am the one that you're searching for. He does it all the time. And even our most common stories. So I took just a most common story because I don't want you to be distracted by the creative teaching. I want you to see it inside all of these ways that our God moved. This is what tells you and I that it's still his way of moving today and why it's so important to find this place for us. Because if it worked for Jesus in all these places, if this is how he introduces who he is, then why in the world wouldn't it work for us and how we move down into our building and into our new community and introduce who we are to the people around us. Think about the story of the woman at the well. John 4, 5, and 8. It says that Jesus is traveling with his companions. Verse 5, so he came to a town of Samaria called Sychar near the field that Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there. So Jesus, wearied as he was from his journey, was sitting beside the well. It was about the sixth hour. Verse 7, a woman from Samaria came to draw water, and Jesus says to her simply, give me a drink. For his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. Okay? So there's a woman, apparently at the well ahead of Jesus, going about her busy life, doing her active thing. She's all alone because if you read further in the story, this woman doesn't have the best reputation for uh, integrity and high character. She's, a, she's an average person in a world that, that really uh, deems someone's uh, value based on how they behave on the outside. And her Facebook posts were terrible, okay? 
So she's at the well, and she sees Jesus walk up alone. It clarifies there were no disciples with him. And Jesus walks up, and, I, and my guess is, seeing the rabbi, seeing the Jew, the, the spiritual representation of a group of people who deemed her so unworthy, she was even more unworthy than her, than her station in life. And he comes up, and he takes a, a seat right next to her near the well. And he looks at her, and he's like, I am so thirsty. <laughs> you mind getting me a drink? And there's tension. Okay? I want to, again, I want to allow you to enter into the tension and consider the space offered that Jesus gave her for pondering and reflection. There's no one around, just him and her. He's looking deep into her eyes, and he's saying, I'm thirsty. And from this place, the woman starts thinking, like the people in church did earlier, she starts thinking, aren't you a Jew? Aren't you a rabbi, no less? Don't you all view me as beneath you and unclean? Didn't one of you spit on me last week as I walked by? And he just sits in the tension while she is actively inside, still on the outside. And he waits, and he waits, and I don't know how long, but it's a long, it's enough time. Birds chirping, whatever animals they have there skittering around. You got to feel it. Maybe Jesus has a stick and he's just hanging out, but he just continues to look at her. And then finally, she says, I don't know about this, but I got questions. She does something very different than the earlier church people who don't say anything, right? They don't say anything because church people are really practiced at judging only with their eyes. So they don't engage, right? They just sit in the back and go, well, I'm pretty sure I've got nine verses to uh, debate everything that Jesus just said. And if he's Jesus, does that mean my warranty gets better on my table that he made last year? Is that an eternal warranty? These are the kind of things that I would think, but I'm shallow and slow. So this woman's sitting there, but she does what, what is my favorite thing about seekers and, and young believers and people in the margins. She says, I'm of very little value already, so what am I going to lose to challenge you? And she starts coming after him. She starts asking questions. Just, I mean, just coming after him. Like people who are just authentically what they are do. And Jesus receives all of her questions, and he just, with love, blocks every one of them. Yeah, I know about your husband. I know about the guy you live with now. I know about the other seven or eight before. I know about the ones nobody knows about. <laughs> he knows all the things on her profile, right? Everything that she's ever hidden, he knows it all. And by the end, he tells her, I am the one you're looking for. This is the verse right here. For at the end of the conversation, Jesus answered her, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that is saying to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. He says to her, like he said to the church people, I am the one you're looking for. You see, Jesus, in both of these stories, is doing something very special. And it's something that is hard for us to see because we don't look through the lens of power and powerlessness together very often. We usually only see one side, depending on the season of life we're in. Maybe you used to have a season of power, and everything went your way, and Everything was easy, and you were like, yeah, and you're just working now to get back there because there's so much powerlessness. Or maybe you have power right now, but you can tell that you're not really very reliant, and you're not all that humble, and, and frankly, you don't really have all that much need, and so you're losing some of the people you used to do life with, and you think it's because you're doing well and they're not, when really it's just that you're a, you know. 
power and powerlessness together are something that Jesus brings for us. When he says he is the answer, we have to realize that Jesus spent most of his life here on earth ministering from an anonymous space of both. For the first 30 years, we hear very little about him. Before that moment where he's in church sharing with the church from the role of from the scroll of Isaiah that that's him, we hear very little, little about him. He was pretty much anonymous. But then what's amazing is that then when the revelation comes and he tells people, no, 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 I am the Messiah, he just doesn't leave there with a banner of Messiah, you know, flying from the back and having t-shirts made and letting people know. No, he moves into every situation with that same powerlessness before he actually comes forth and says he's Messiah. He's constantly ministering from his anonymousness. He's always touching, then telling. We as Christians, for the most part, tend to tell first. Here's our service times. Here's what we're going to do. Here's why we're better than the others. And if you show up, we promise to love on you. And we'll love on you better than other people. And that's why you should come hang out with us. Because when we judge you, it'll only be with our eyes, not our mouths. <laughs> this is what we do. This is often what we do. And Jesus does the opposite. He consistently shows up anonymous and then says, by the way, I'm the creator of all things. It's like, it's not even like, I'm a pretty good person and I make a really mean coffee table. That's like not even his, it's I'm the creator of all things. And a second ago, I was a person that, that you thought uh, was was going to judge you or hate you or, or, or bring some sort of damnation upon your life. But in reality, I want to love you and draw near and be in relationship with you. And by the way, I'm the perfect and holy set-apart creator of all things. This is because, I'll put it up there, the all-powerful Jesus is always inviting people close to him through his powerlessness. This is the only approach that's going to work for downtown or uptown, or any town. This is the only approach that's going to work for, for how the gospel moves forward is through one of accepting the powerlessness of both me and the person I'm ministering to and knowing that the Holy Spirit can do what he does. Do you know why a lot of you are so convicted by what's happening here at Kesed in a good and beautiful way? I've heard these compliments, so I'm just going to kill them real quick. Wow, Pastor Danny, it's like you're reading my email. Wow, Pastor Danny, thanks for communicating at my level. Wow, Pastor Danny, I feel so genuinely um, allowed into your life. Wow, 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 wow. None of that stuff's true. I'm hiding stuff all the time. It's not big stuff, but I still hide. Because I don't owe everything to you people. <laughs> the things you're feeling, this is the truth, the things you're feeling are powerlessness of me connecting with powerlessness of you and from that place, the Holy Spirit creates healing and transformation and newness and restoration. And suddenly all of us are lifted to a place where God gets all the credit because we recognize there is no credit for us to give to ourselves or to the ministry or to the quality or to the excellence. I'm done with all these words. I'm just looking for mess. Because the more messy that I can live in my 
in my um, journey, and what I mean by that is the more owning I can have of my stuff and my place, the more that I can give credit to God when that stuff doesn't steer me, that I don't derail my marriage, that I don't suddenly think that, that I'm this and instead of that, and that I can engage and that you can engage and that we can feel in relationship and that people walk in and we drop the people we know and they know that we know that we're going to go meet someone we don't know and this other person on the other side is not offended that we didn't hang out with them because we sat next to someone in the back row that smelled and looked different than us. What if that was how we pastored our church? What if there were like 10 coffees a week just being connected out of here? Because you realize I cannot have coffee with everybody here. I, I like it and I love it, but I hope I deem some of you right now, okay, your coffee preachers, go out and meet with people over coffee because it's the easiest thing in the world to go, hey, we should grab a coffee. Okay, cost you like two bucks unless you go to Starbucks and then it's more. But it's, 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 a, it's a beautiful thing to sit in this space when your powerlessness is being used by God through somebody else's powerlessness. This is how he works. This is what he wants to do. He is inviting all of us to be actively still with each other. To just be still and in presence. And this is in perfect rhythm with all that scripture says about who God is over and over and over. I want to show you a quick video. It's about a five-minute video. And it's a snippet of an interview with a theologian slash Catholic priest slash uh, uh, spiritual leader slash person half the people don't agree with slash person people have finally found their faith alive in and all the other messy stuff that comes with it. And his name is Richard Rohr. And I'm not asking you to believe what Richard Rohr says or like what he says or anything else. What I'm asking you to do is listen to this five-minute interview and ask yourself about where he is offering for you to sit when it comes to thinking about God's power and powerlessness. This, this is the sort of stuff that we have to be pondering and the sort of stuff we have to be filtering and the kinds of places we have to go. So watch that, and I'll come back up and close our time together. How does the Trinity speak to power? Well, I'd love to talk on that. If God is not almighty but all-vulnerable, that God's self-limiting and self-emptying, the Father empties himself 100% into the Son. The Son empties himself 100% into the giving of the Spirit. The Spirit 100% empties himself into the Father. And this flow of perfect love never stops. Then here's what, I'm gonna to jump to the conclusion. The nature of God has redefined the nature of power. And power is, in fact, powerlessness. Follow the logic of that? <laughs> that, that God, in becoming powerless, defines power in a new way, and it is now the power of love. You've got to be weak but, to be strong. Yeah, there you go. So Paul gets it. When I am weak, I am strong. There's the best one-liner. But Philippians 2, he emptied himself. But we've got to make sure this is clear in the book. This redefinition of power. Because if we don't make that clear, a lot of people will go on with a pious understanding of Trinity and not let it teach them a new politics, a nonviolent theory of human nature. That self-emptying, and we taught it in our initiation rites. The, the assumption that allowed me to create the male initiation rites was summed up in this one line discovered in disparate cultures from Australia to Africa to Celtic Europe, 
that any male who is not led on journeys of powerlessness will always abuse power. That's the assumption of why the world needed initiation rites. I mean, how do you get anything done if everybody's emptying themselves? Well, only if they rediscover the new power. But now the new power is not connected to their ego. Can you see the difference? You're, you're absolutely right. That's why we call this place action and contemplation. We want people to use their power, but we need a new kind of power. <laughs> we need a power, the kind you see in Nelson Mandela the kind we saw in Abraham Lincoln, you know? So it exists, well, the kind we saw in Gandhi and Jesus, yeah? They were powerful men. And how, how is the Trinity, how does that speak to that power? How is that a model for that power? How is that a model for, to, for reality? To it will forever be disdained by people who only understand dominative power. And I do think that's why Jesus said, I'm sounding you out like sheep among wolves. Why we in the Christian tradition, I thought of it at Mass yesterday when I intoned the Lamb of God, which is one of the parts of the Mass, and I just preached on it. So they, I said, you notice what you're going to say now? You're not saying Lion of God. Why not? Why are you saying Lamb of God? You've been saying this all your life, Lamb of God, with, you know, just rolls off your tongue. But this is revolutionary notion of God. Lamb of God instead of Lion of God. So it will, I'm sending you out like sheep among wolves. He knows that the politicians, the power-seeking people of this world will disdain and destroy this until the end of time. They will have no respect for it. And yet Jesus goes to his executioners knowing that. I, can you now read the whole Passion account on a whole new level? <laughs> that he knew the price of this, the bloodletting that would come from it, was going to be part of the deal. So I, I think that's why we don't want an all-vulnerable God. We want an almighty God. I wish I could rewrite the prayers of the church. I really do. And see that 60% of them are asking that we can go to heaven directly or indirectly, the official prayers of, of the church, you know? And 50% of them begin with Almighty God. We should just say Lion of God if we really want... Almighty God, <laughs> nice donkey. <laughs> yeah. we, uh, we don't get the Christian revelation. And again, so I don't make this all bad will or intentional resistance. I just think the revelation of God is so monumental and massive and counterintuitive that I'm quite sure, here we are sitting in 2016, that history will eventually call this early Christianity. That we are living in early Christianity. We just began to scratch the surface of what Trinity is saying about who God is, what creation is, and who we are, and how we are included in the deal, which is for us, of course, the good news. So, all right, 11 of you liked it. <laughs> Uh, 200 of you don't know, and there's a whole bunch of people who just wish this could be done. But let me just, let me just clarify. Here's what he's saying. 
he's saying that we as people, as, as followers of Jesus, we say the things that Jesus wants us to say without often acting like the things Jesus wants us to say are willing us to act. So when we pray, none of us pray. I've never been in a prayer where someone started off Lamb of God or, or, or started off a vulnerable God. And I'm referring, of course, to, the, to Jesus in the way that he, that he came down and was willing to be, uh, to be, to be weak, to be, to be accessible, to be touchable, all those things. We always lean into Almighty God and Lamb of God. And the two friends, they don't mix very well. And they are both true. But we say Lamb of God because we recognize that Jesus is, is giving us a glimpse of the reality that he moves in powerlessness, that he is but a lamb. And yet we move around with the power and we, we generally cite the verses that give us shields and swords and helmets and all the good and true things to defend against a world that's attacking. And yet when Jesus himself said how he did it, he never had a sword, he never had a shield, he just had love. That person agrees. And they're so little. They just have love. They just have love. This is how we approach. And this is what's so profound. Now imagine that you, re you uh, reply to the gospel like a lion and you move in that kind of way. Then you're going to be protective. You're going to be focused on authority. And you're going to be moving in, in, in decisiveness. Versus if you're willing to just be a lamb and connect with powerlessness. I wonder how those stories played out. I'm so glad you asked. It does give responses of both groups of people. The one where Jesus is sitting um, with them and telling them, the friends, family, people who knew him, people who, who know his integrity and character and what he's about. And it says after a while, they responded. This was their response. When they heard these things, all in the synagogue, by the way, another word for church, all in the church were filled with wrath. And then it says, and they rose up and drove him out of the town and brought him to the brow of the hill on which their town was built so that they could throw him down the cliff. But passing through their midst, he went away. Just want to give you 20 seconds on this verse right here. I think as a church, when we move like a lion, when we move to devour, when we move to protect, when it's about our leadership and our decisions and our whatever that we've come up with, our powerful place, this could be why church as we know it is dying and shrinking. This could be why. Because Jesus just passes through their midst and goes away. He listens to all the fighting and, and opinions and discussions and power pulling and dynamics. And then he just goes, oh. And he just goes away. And he leaves us to us. And we fight and we pull, we maneuver to try to make sure we're the ones that are protecting the kingdom of God and want to make sure that this is his holy, righteous church and how dare these messy people come in with their messy ideas and show their messy videos. And Jesus goes, oh, okay. And he goes away. But when we function like lambs from our powerlessness, when we go after Jesus with our problems and our, and our stuff. See, I said earlier that the, that the seekers in the room and the, the women at the well, the men at the well in the room, the, those are the people I love because those are the people that throw down with me and with Jesus. And really what they're doing is going after Jesus was just this, another worldly word for follow. They're like, I got something to tell you, sir. And he's like, let's go. That's right, I'm going to go and grab some stuff. I'm going to tell you everything I think about you. All right, let's have some time together. And you leave everything you know and you go after Jesus and you let him know exactly where he disappointed you. And he listens and he listens and he loves 
and he loves. And then through his weakness, he connects us with your weakness. And listen to her response that when it all was said and done. So the woman left her water jar, left her job, and went away into town and said to the people, come and see a man who told me all that I ever did. Can this be the Christ? They went out of the town and were coming to him. Okay, you've got the church full of power and control and leadership, as we know it. And Jesus goes, I'm going to go ahead and leave. Then you've got Jesus sitting at a well, talking to a woman who's broken, just sharing life, doing community, just being anonymous. Then he says, I'm the answers you're looking for. And this woman goes into town, gets all the people, and brings church to him. He ends up having church at the well with other people like him who were all anonymous and connected through his anonymousness and through his, his apparent weakness. The lambs are the ones that drive and lead the church because the Lamb of Christ is the one who is the head of the church. This is the only way that we're going to be able to move downtown. I've got one statement for you, and it's right here. The next season of ministry within our church will be in no need of our power but our powerlessness. Amen. This is it. If you need power and control, if you have the whole vision worked out and, and planned out, then, then, then you don't fit in here because I am utterly lost other than to lean into the power, powerlessness that I know I carry. This is who our God is bringing. This is going to transform our lives, our marriages, our homes, and all of the above. If you can have dads who lean into powerlessness... If you can have moms who lean into powerlessness, people who say they're too busy, people who say they're too tired, people who admit they don't know. If you can have theologians that go, what if, what if, what if, what if? If we can be in a church of, of, of multiple kinds of people functioning and working together and loving one another, if we can understand that God can move within all that, oh my goodness, there, this, is, this is biblical. Right now in biblical. This is getting to live out the words of Scripture in a real way. I would rather have a church full of people who came from wells than from people who came from over this pulpit. This is what we're doing. And it's going to require our willingness to move from power to powerlessness. This heart that we've made, it represents just that. It represents just this idea that we are moving from power and powerlessness and then find power and powerlessness and then find power and powerlessness. And we are going to love people right where they are, right how they are, and it's going to change them. But more importantly, it is going to change us. I am so pleased that you've allowed yourself to come into this space. I am so pleased that you're pondering what it might look like to receive the offerings that God is, is, is placing before you. I'm so pleased that your life is going to become something more than your own. Because I think you're going to find a lot of freedom in that. I want to give you some time to reflect on this. I wanna, I'm going to leave this stool right here. And what I'm going to do is just give you some time to imagine that Jesus just shared with you in either situation, at the well or in the church, but that he shared with you who he is and what he's about. And I want you just to allow your heart to just respond to that, to just receive that, and to ask him what it means for you and what's next. I'm going to pray for you, and then we'll just sing a little bit. We'll see what God does with it. Heavenly Father, Lord, I thank you so much for this space and for this time. I ask that there would be a deep and uh, rich reflection 
I'm so grateful, God, that uh, we can sit in this place that we can uh, receive from you, that it's not about me or anything else. It's just, it's just about you and what you want to do with each and every one of us. We lift up this next season to you, proclaiming your name over it. In 